Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business Fun Podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can work with Booking Protect to deliver a better buying experience, more peace of mind in your customer's purchase, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. While I have your attention, I want to remind you, you can also find my ebook. It is 101 ways to market, sell, and monetize your live event. You can get that simply by emailing me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Put revenue in the subject line, and I'll get that out to you. My guest today is a good friend of mine, Ghislaine Bullman from Ticket Pro in Canada. And I wanted to have Ghislaine on because why not? But mostly, I wanted to have her on to talk about data and big data and a lot of the things that go around data. She has a very interesting take on data because Ticket Pro is a Canadian company that's been around for um, quite a quite a bit of time, and they have the op- had the opportunity to collect data, understand how to utilize it, and how to make it actionable, which is sort of the holy grail of data. So we talk about data. We talk about using technology to create opportunities and take advantage of them. Uh, we talked about using um, the proper technologies and the right data to incru- improve the customer buying process. We talked about outreach to younger fans. We talked about content. We talked about pricing. We even got into a conversation about uh, baseball, uh, softball, uh, blockchain, uh, everything, I think. We got to a great deal uh, and Ghislaine is great, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ghislaine Bullman. I'm very excited to introduce everybody to my friend Ghislaine Bullman from Ticket Pro. Uh, I'm so excited to have you on today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Ooh, fine, just fine. I'm great. Actually, I'm having like a really good day. Um, I've laughed a lot, and it was mostly your fault because we were talking before we started recording. Um, I, but I wanted to, um, I'm really excited to have you on because I think you have some really great ideas that people will learn from. Um, you know, we've become friends over the last couple of years through Intix and, um, you know, you're like one of the smartest people I know. And you have a, um, you know, like one of the best outlooks about life and tickets and everything that, um, you know, I think people will benefit from. Um, so thank you for doing this. Um, I want to start out by asking you a question about, um, you know, I guess where we, we, we started out talking before we started recording this about the state of the industry, right? And one of the things you and I both are very, very avid um, promoters of is sharing ideas widely and as completely as possible, right? Um, you know, wherever I can gain an idea from, I like to throw it out there and go, well, this could work. It might not work. It could work. Um and you talk, we talked about that many times before about sharing ideas and, and kind of like being having a holistic approach to tickets. Can you tell me how you came to such an open, you know, such an open and creative way of approaching ideas and how you actually, you know, make sure that you're bringing ideas into your business every day? Um, well, I think that for like, as we discussed earlier, like for a long time, we were very 
insular in ticketing. And I don't know if that's just in Canada or in the States as well, but it was, it was kind of, uh, exclusive people were doing everything by themselves and you can't be an expert at everything. And, um, I started going to intakes about 10 years ago and I thought that that was a really exciting place to go. People were very at that industry. People were very open. They were very excited. We shared a lot of ideas and you can only, you can only learn, you can only improve your business and improve how you work when, when you listen to other people. Cause you're not, you're not an expert. Nobody's an expert at everything. So I think that it, it's important to bring other people in, bring other ideas in, and um, mix them up with your own. Try new things. Yeah, no, that, I think that's a, uh, a really great way of approaching it. I know that, what's today? Today's, uh, we're recording this on February 27th. So I know on Friday of last week, um, I had been... I had people ask me, like, well, you have all these, like, great marketing ideas. And I was like, I'm only really as smart as the people I learn from, right? And I, um, so I sent, I posted some stuff from, like, all these marketing people from all over the world. And it was really great because then I got emails from, like, all these people who are, like, are heroes to me that I, you know, I've learned from. They're like, oh, my God, it's, like, so generous of you to, to share my ideas with all the people that you work with. And it's great. And, and what I, and I guess the, the way that you put it that, that I find so valuable is that, you don't lose anything by sharing an idea or learning an idea or taking an idea from another place and applying it in the situation you're currently in. Because the idea, if you don't put any action behind it or you don't like lovingly steal an idea from another place, it becomes, it loses this energy. Yeah. I'm going to use that now though. Lovingly steal. <laughs> you should. That's, that's why we're having, you know, that's why we have these conversations. That way the ideas that you and I can, um, you know, share with people they can, they can lovingly steal and use on their own. <laughs> yeah, but nothing's new. Everything is always inspired, quote unquote, by something else. Well, that's right. Um, I have a um, a guy who I've learned a lot from, a guy called Alan Weiss, uh, and he says there's nothing new under the sun, and which I know is again a quote that has probably been stolen lovingly from many different <laughs> places. And it's um, you know, it's it's really true, and I think that. There's a lot of great ideas out in the world of tickets that we all often miss because we're only looking at what other people in our industry are doing or other people in our specific area of tickets are doing. Or, you know, maybe we're afraid to take an idea from a vendor because a vendor might try to sell me something. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, I don't think that's necessarily, um, you know, if you're a vendor or if you're anybody in the, involved, your goal should be that, like, I want to elevate the industry and make it grow because if I do, then there's going to be more opportunity for everybody, including me. Yes. I mean, at least that's my, that's my point of view. But, you know, your mileage may vary. Well, and also sometimes, you know, one company will lead the charge with an idea and show that it can be done and how to do it well um, or, you know, and then – for another idea, it'll be another company, but we're always inspired by the people. Like somebody's always got to be the one to do it first, uh, but it doesn't always have to be the same people. Yeah, and I think usually it isn't the same people. I mean, there's an incredible world full of ideas that get you know expressed, right? Like if they bounce off of somebody, then you know they interact with that idea in an entirely different way than you or you or me. Yeah. And then when that idea takes on its next life. It's it's the same idea, but it's entirely new because it's never been used in this place or shape before. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and that's like it's interesting because when you think about it in terms of 
opportunities, right? Which is, you know, kind of how I've been trying to uh, phrase things most of the year. I've kind of tried to go back old school and focus on revenue and focus on helping people see and understand and take advantage of opportunities. Not having the right mindset, though, about opportunities, it seems like missed, op, you know, a, a missed opportunity uh, yeah. for growth. Um, knowing that, like, you, you know, you have a, a, a really great viewpoint on data and on opportunities, where are people missing or, or should be looking at opportunities or where are they missing some opportunities to grow their grow their business and reach new markets? I think there's a, there are a lot of different ways that people can grow and, uh, you know, missing an opportunity often we do not have, you know, in, in the arts or um, a lot of smaller organizations don't have the manpower um, to be able to optimize all their opportunities. But I think that one of them that we're starting to now, and I know this is like a really a topic that's been beaten to death, but dynamic pricing is one that we all do. Um, and I think people are starting to to do it more seriously now. Uh, and I like the idea of trying to be more like, an, you know, the airline industry where we're starting to get people used to the idea that prices will change depending on demand. But I also think that I'm not sure that people are actually looking at pricing. Um, I don't think they're specialists the way they should be. I don't think they necessarily give the attention to that. Um, I think that, you know, for the last couple of years, big data has been a, a buzzword. It's been a keyword, and people didn't necessarily know what that meant. But we started collecting data, and um, you know, Ticket Pro. We've been around for a long time. We've been around for like 15 years. We have a network, so we have a lot of data, like in our database, uh, that's just kind of sitting there. So um, we're trying to look at that now and help the organizations that work with us um, look at trends over short-term, over long-term periods, over, you know, for their festival, to just kind of look at, at how pricing has traditionally been done and where there's room to grow in that. So I, I know that that dynamic pricing has been beaten to death. It's not like a super sexy idea, but I think that is somewhere where organizations, they say, you know, well, I can't raise the price. It's been this price for several years. But if you look at the data and if you look at what your sales have been doing for the past 10 years or look at what the industry has been doing for the past 10 years, there is room to to grow that. And it doesn't mean, you know, increasing it $5 across the board. That's no. But look at when you're selling, what you're selling, who you're selling to, when, you know, and you put all those elements together. And I think it's 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 a really good idea to just kind of question how you've been doing that historically. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's, I, I know that big data and dynamic pricing are two terms that have um, moved beyond buzzwords into sort of established concepts that I think people talk about, don't need, don't know, don't necessarily understand or don't yeah. know how to turn into action. Um, yeah. You know, the way you, you, you describe dynamic pricing as a way to like look at let's look at 15 years worth of data and let's look at the trends to help price smarter. That's yeah. a good way of understanding how to use data. Right. Um, you know, you, what are some other examples you have, you know, from from what you've worked on over the years um, that would show like how you actually can make big data um, operational? You know, how you can make it actually useful for people, because I, I, I struggle with this idea of big data because what I see, and I could be wrong, right? If, if I am, let people let me know that 
people get so overwhelmed by all the data they have access to that it becomes like we know we need to collect it, we know we need to have it, but when we don't know what to do with it, and then it becomes like sort of a drag on the organization because they don't know exactly how to take action on it. Yeah, well, big data can like I'm, I mean, big data. Big data is just data, right? Uh, it's just that you have a lot of it, and then you can kind of anonymize it. And it's look really big. Exactly. <laughs> it's enormous data. We have great, great, giant data. Um, it's Big data is when you, can, when you have enough that you can look at trends where you anonymize things. So um, we're kind of going in two separate directions in the – separate but equally important directions in the industry because a you want to we want to know you dave what do you do and how can we sell you more tickets or like what will interest you so we were interested in very much you dave as a person as an individual who are you uh how old are you where do you live what's your income um you know so for marketing we want we really want to do that specific marketing but the big data is kind of you have so much data that you can look at it and see trends and see like make I want to say easy assumptions, um, but, you know, some clear assumptions as to what trends are. And um, when you have like a lot of data and you say like, oh, you know, uh, you know, 40 percent of people when they purchase tickets on your website come directly to the page. But 60 percent of people are being redirected from somewhere else. That gives you an idea um, on how you can act. So, um I think big data is really useful for uh, obviously marketing purposes. It's really um, it's really interesting when you talk about like when you look at digital marketing, which is um, I think another opportunity that organizations some have embraced it and some small organizations have embraced it. And I think if, if this sounds counterintuitive, but I think if you do not have a big budget to do that in house, you need to to have that you know in house that whole department, I think that you, it's a good idea to look at opportunities elsewhere, um, to look at third party specialists who can come in and help you. A lot of times those specialists, um, can work out some sort of package where you're paid according to sales that they help generate. So that's a win right there. Um, and these specialists have, you know, Oftentimes, you know, Dave, you and I know that at the box office, big organizations is different, but small organizations, the box office manager needs to do everything and can't. Um, and they just, they run out of time and they have to do the urgent, what's urgent, but not necessarily what's important. And um, so just like, if you have a, if you have a third party organization that can help you with your digital marketing, if you want to do like, I don't know, a Facebook campaign even, um, that 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 data that it can be really useful to you. Yeah, one one quite one concern I have, and and maybe you have a different approach on this than I do, is you, you talked about large data sets, which creates um, this big pool of anonymous data that can yep. help show us a path, you know, or trends over yes. time. One of the things, you know, and this comes back to the idea that we're we're stealing ideas from everywhere, right? Which yep. is kind of my game, right? Because I mean, I really have one specialty, which is how to bring money into businesses, um, you know, how to sell and market things. But what I, the, so with the, these big, large data sets, right, and the anonymous data, my, my kind of concern, or, and you use the word assumption here, was are, are we using that stuff too heavily, though? Because are we making it so that it becomes like a race to the bottom or really a race to the, race to the middle or the lowest common denominator? And 
you know, so number one, is that true? Or, and if so, you know, how do we stop that bias from happening? Because it seems that we create an environment where no one's happy if that's what we're doing. Well, okay. And I've, I've, I've listened to your podcast before. So I assumed this was going to come up. <laughs> you, you, I, you know, I, the, I do have my other fa- famous question I'll pull out in a minute. So. No, and, and no, and that's a very good point. And I think when you look at it, like it's very easy to sit here and in 10 minutes talk about big data and wrap that up. But clearly when you look at it, you can't uh, make a, like you can't make assumptions. I'm saying sometimes things are clear. So if you look at data and you go like, wow, 80% of our ticket buyers are women, um, th- that's not an assumption. That's that's the fact of what's happening. Um, but why is that happening? There you can't assume. So we just as an example, we were looking um, with some clients at the, the flow of, of purchases on our website. And our client said this was, you know, if you look, people drop out at the page um, where we list the prices. People are, are that's where they, they exit the the, the flow. So it means our prices are too high. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's true um, because people are coming and maybe they want to look at the prices. This is what they want to know. And, the, and so it's a success because you've given them that information and this is where they drop out. And then when we looked a little further, we realized that like 60% of people who had left that page actually came back and purchased later. So I think that how I read the situation was correct. People come on the website. They want to know what the price is. If they exit your website without buying because they need to consult other people, that that's still a win. You've, you've had a successful, you've had what, what could be considered a conversion if conversion wasn't universally accepted to mean money. Um, but you, you've, you've, you've reached your goal with that page. Let me, but, let me ask you this too, because I, you know, you brought up something interesting too. So you said like 80% of people are dropping out or so whatever the number was at, at the point of pricing. Right. And then 60 yeah. people come back. Um, you tell me if I'm wrong, but that's, so knowing that though, that creates a, a tremendous opportunity because if only 60 people are coming back, that's 40% of the people that you have a chance to like remarket and retarget to. Right. Yep, exactly. So and and getting that information, like I, so I don't know if in this the the states you have the same um, laws as we do in Canada. In Canada, we've got something what's called the Canadian anti-spam legislation. Um, so we're not allowed to email, and it was not meant for ticket sellers, but uh, it was it was meant for Ni- the Nigerian prince. Um, but of course, they cannot control the Nigerian prince, and they can control Canadian corporations. So um, we're not allowed to send emails to people willy-nilly and to whoever we want and to contact them however we wish. Um, so we really have to get their permission to uh, either explicit or implicit to contact them by email. And they're slapping out some hefty fines, and so we really have to be careful. Um, and at Ticket Pro, I mean, and I, everywhere, you want to talk to people who want to hear from you. You don't want to talk to people who don't want to hear from you because you're wasting your time. Um, and that's – I'm generalizing. but No, that's a great point. And that's sort of uh, when, when I asked the, the original question about the large data sets and the race to the bottom. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's like an interesting term because that's like you, – you can't highlight that enough. It's like having a huge list is unimportant. Having a much smaller list of people who are willing to take a, the journey with you is, is so so valuable. Yeah. So so when but when somebody comes and they put tickets in their cart, they they're that's pretty 
that's a show of interest, right? So yeah, so uh, like looking at abandoned carts, looking at, and I mean, making sure you're not, and I think like the card abandonment and just talking to those people, this is fairly new. Uh, we don't have 20 years of, of, of data to back this up. So right now it's still, you know, finding out what is the right, um, what's the right time period to do that. Um, we have a challenge that Amazon does not have. So if you want to buy like, you know, I don't know, the Bobsy Twins uh, Haunted House book, you put it in your cart uh, you abandon your cart. Amazon can say like, oh, okay, did Gilan buy the Bobsy Twin book? Like, you know, two days later, whatever it is. And then do we still have it in stock? Here we go. Whereas as tickets, if you've got especially reserved seating, what if you don't have those tickets anymore? What if they're sold? You still want to entice the person to come back. And how do you do that? And what do you offer them instead? So we're still looking, I think, at details. Um, but cart abandonment is like a huge opportunity that people can can look at and you, you've had somebody who was interested enough to come like and my take on this is when I put tickets in my cart I'm looking at the price I want to know what I'll be paying and what is available so <clears throat> oftentimes you can't just go like it's an easy way to do it I'll go to a venue I'll say I want the best tickets for this event for this date you click it and you get it in your cart you see what the tickets are going to be and what the final price is going to be and then I think about it I go talk to people or whatever um, so that is not necessarily, you did not fail. You got me to go that far. And and now let's get me the rest of the way. No, that, I mean, that's a, a tremendous, that's a, that's a great example. And I don't think we've ever talked about card abandonment and the opportunities that that, that creates here before, before, because I think it is. It's like every point in the journey, and this is, you know, I'm not going to be a genius when it comes to uh digital tools and using them for marketing in all cases, right? Because I can't be an expert in everything like you said. But every point in the process, right, like, uh, that data gives you an opportunity to understand, like, well, if I'm losing people here, what's the problem, right? If I'm losing them on the homepage, well, what te that tells me a lot, right? It tells me that um, people can't find what they're looking for or I'm not offering what they're looking for. And, yeah. and you know, at each step of the process, if you ask the right questions, it gives you the opportunity to learn something new, yeah, something better, and take action from it. So, and, I, and in that case, then I think that um, you know, data is a very valuable tool. And yeah. uh, you know, and like the example you used of eighty percent of women are the ones maybe you know in, in your example of are, buy, are purchasing the tickets. Then that tells you that the that that's the person you you need to communicate with. Right, that may helps change the way you program and what yeah. what you offer, right? Because if that's who the if that's who the buyer is and that's who's making the purchasing decision, then that's very valuable to, to know. Like you don't just throw, you know, it keeps you from throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks. So what what, what uh, TicketPro we try and do also is like marry uh, Google Analytics with our own analytics and with our own data because um, you know Google Analytics you can a lot of people go incognito. Um, I do, which is very ironic because as a ticket seller, I want everybody's information. But as a consumer, I do not want to give my information to anybody. <laughs> um, so you lose a lot of that in Google Analytics. You lose a lot of that data. But when you buy tickets, we, we have that data. But we don't necessarily have all the traffic and we do not necessarily have the huge toolbox that Google does. So we embed, we can embed um, Google Analytics uh, trackers into our, our own website and then people, if they're looking at Google Analytics, they can they can see they can you know 
if you don't, if we haven't done like a survey or if we don't know if your client is uh, male or female or who's coming to the event, you can still get a lot of that demographic information from Google. So it's, it's a very, I think that that's another opportunity that people can use is to actually, you know, you can, Google Analytics is a big tool and on your own website, like on people's own websites, they can just, they can use a little bit, they can use a lot. Um, you can fall down the rabbit hole, but there's a lot of, of good information that's available and to know who your audience is. And I'm going to use this to segue into, um, this is not technology related at all, but a lot of people are not working on renewing their audience. And I feel like a lot of festivals or a lot of, you know, smaller organizations, they want to keep the, the subscribers they have now or the patrons they have now, but they're not necessarily trying to renew to a younger audience. And that is um, vital. Look at you. You're bringing up stuff I would love that I love to talk about. You, you obviously you know me. <laughs> and and to to highlight the point you make about the Google Analytics and all the cool stuff it'll do for you, I just pulled up my Google Analytics on my you know for my website, and it'll go. I mean, obviously the U.S. is the number one market for me, but I mean, there's visitors I can see here from Germany, uh, South Africa, Australia, the Philippines, India, like so, like all over the place, and it gives me a you know like the percentage of the, of these places is very high, which is interesting to know, right? I mean, it, it doesn't change. I guess everybody needs to know how to make more money. It's the lesson. Um, but renewing fans, um, let me ask you about that because that is a very, very good question and a, a, something that, at least in the States, it should be at the top of people's minds. Um, the most famous example right lately has been Major League Baseball and the fact that Major League Baseball's um, average fan, the age of their average fan has been ticking up one year every year uh, yeah. consistently for like the last at least four or five years, I think. Um, and, and the, the, you know, they, they're kind of like, they seem to be, um, a little bit directionless in how they are tackling that idea. Um, let me ask you as the person who brought up the idea, how do you tackle the idea of renewing your fan base and always kind of growing the next generation of fans? Uh, I think there's a couple of ways to do that, and it depends on your content. So if you have, uh, I know here in Montreal, like say for the um, the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, which has traditionally had an older, you know, uh, fan base, um, they do a lot of outreach to younger um, fans. They have, uh, they go over different social media channels. Um, so you know. Younger fans will be um, super generalizing, but they're going to be on Snapchat. They're not going to be on Facebook. Um, they're going to be interested in Insta stories. They're not going to be interested. You know, like you might not reach them on Twitter. So just how you're talking to your fans and where you're finding your fans. But the content they will have, they'll obviously do special pricing for younger fans. Um, they've had younger conductors come on. They try and do um, like different even programs where they do like, you know, they've had the Lord of the Rings, they've had the Harry Potter movies um, with a live bet. So they're, they're trying to engage and it's working it, for them. It's working. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I don't know how I do it for major league baseball, you know, is it baseball or football? You said baseball. Yes. Baseball. Definitely. Their, their, their uh, average age of their fan was the last time I saw this. I think it was 56 years old. Yeah. Well, That's pretty old. 
Well, and here, you know, and well, I, I have no idea about baseball, so I'm just going to talk anyway. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if you're having trouble, if you do not have, like, if I were, we don't have baseball here in Montreal anymore, which is a shame. I love live baseball. I love going in person. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, and I would buy a subscription, but they, like, I'd buy season tickets, but I'm not like, do they have enough season tickets for their younger fans? Are they getting incentives for the, or are they just trying to resell those season tickets to the same older fans all the time? And then you're not letting the younger people participate. I'm sure they have way better ideas than I do, but just, you know, I, 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 I think, um, the big idea lately has been to go with something that's like a Netflix type subscription thing. Yep. Uh, and that's really been about the gist of the idea and to have, uh, you, really expensive um, stadium renovations to create social spaces. And that seems to be the extent of most of their uh, marketing efforts that have gone into this. I could be wrong, but yeah. Well, different subscriptions is a really good idea. So allowing people to make their own packages, um, that seems to be uh, what a lot of sports organizations thinks appeals to younger people. I know in, in, um, Montreal for the soccer, they, I think last year, I'm not sure if they're continuing it this year, but they did, they also have like kind of the, what do they call those? The, the, the oh dear. What's the word? <laughs> Where before the game you go out and everybody's got food at their trail. Oh, like tailgate. Yes, tailgating. So they wanted to do this kind of like tailgating idea where you would go and then you'd have like different uh, stations where you'd go eat during the game. So they're trying to bring foodies and soccer together, which I think is an excellent idea. But I mean, you offer me food anywhere, and I'm I'm pretty much in. Yeah, no, I, I mean, the, yeah, I think that. I mean, again, we've talked about this before. I think you saw you even saw me uh, push back on this idea that we're limited in the in the ways that we can market and sell and generate revenue from events and re- reach people. I mean, you know, as we're recording this, I know I just sent it to you, but I just put out a. PDF with 101 ways to market and sell and monetize your events. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I know it's not an, an exhaustive list. It's not a comprehensive, complete list. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think all of these things should be on the table. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's my idea is always like you keep throwing things at the <laughs> wall until you get what you hope, until you've kind of start finding the, the keys to the combination to get what well, you want. Yeah, and I worked in software development for a long time, and one of the ideas that I love that I took out of uh, that I took out of that, and then I try and apply it to my whole, everywhere in my life is fail fast. So try, try it, implement it quickly, do it. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing. That's a, that's an old uh, idea that was um, the New Deal here in the states, like FDR. It's like you know, move fast, and you know, everything's not going to work. And I think that's maybe one of the things that gets everybody kind of. Uh, jammed up a lot is that they feel like every idea they have has to work or they're going to be seen as a failure. And whereas I look at it, like if you're not screwing up, then you're not really trying anything. Exactly. I used to figure skate and I, and the whole thing was if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, I couldn't, I really, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, it's like we have to kind of divorce uh, failure from the success of our job, right? And sort of like the way I look at it, right? I, you know, I mean, you, you, you know me. I throw out all kinds of ideas and all kinds of thoughts and suggestions. Um, not all of them are going to work, right? I, and I don't expect that all of them are going to work. 
Um, you know, it's just like being comfortable with the idea that this might not work is a really valuable mindset to have when you are dealing with uncertainty, right? Which is like what we're all dealing with, right? Our, you know, our, our audiences are changing, our markets are changing, our ability to sell and market effectively is changing. I mean, that's we, we, we kind of are like uh, a constant in one experiment, each, yeah. each and every one of us. Well, I think that if I think maybe also if people are afraid of failure, you just need to reframe it as A-B testing. So we're trying this idea, this didn't work, this other idea worked better. Okay. Look at you. That's a that, that's a really great way of putting it as an A B test, right? I mean, you know, um, you, you know that. I mean, that's like so, such an elegant way of putting it, because you know you're testing two ideas. They might one might work better than the other one, and then when you figure out which one works better, you test it against another one until you start figuring out what what works, what people want, what people are willing to pay, pay attention to, um, and what people are willing to invest in. Yep. I mean, you know, it's. I know um, I had a I have an ongoing e- email exchange uh, that I probably should uh, send an email to when we're done here. But there's a, a lady called jo- I forgot George's last name, but she uh, she works at the Sydney Opera House, and she's very big on fan engagement and customer engagement and the customer experience. And she told me last time we were going back and forth, it's like the um, the biggest challenge that she deals with at the Sydney Opera House, which is an iconic venue, right? I mean, everybody, as soon as I say it, they, I, I'm sure you can picture it in your head, um, is that as soon as they roll out something experiential for their customers, it becomes expected and that they all, they have to come up with something new. And, and I think we all, we all just have to keep that in mind that as soon as we give something, it's just an ex- expectation that we've set. And now we got to, now it's our job to just keep going further. Like yeah. always pushing further. Yeah. So let me ask you this: thing. Um, What kind of trends are you looking at over like the next twelve to eighteen to twenty-four months that are going to like impact the ability of people to market and sell uh, tickets? So um, I think like when we were at Intakes, we saw like a, a couple of workshops uh, workshops on blockchain, and I think everybody's kind of thinking, "Ooh, blockchain, blockchain." I don't think that in the next, certainly not next twelve months, but I even eighteen, I don't see that having a big impact. It, Eventually, yes, but I don't think that we figured out how to use it. And actually, I'm kind of betting on the fact that it's going to be used in a way nobody's expecting. Um, but that's just my own personal thought on that. So I know it's a big buzzword right now, but I don't think that's going to have any impact in the near future. Um, you can cut this out if I'm wrong, right? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. No, we'll go back and we can post-edit it. But I, I tend to agree. I think that... Um, I think the the, te- the opportunity for blockchains there. Um, I think that it's uh, probably creates value. I think that well, the challenge blockchain companies are going to encounter is the fact that um, the industry as a whole is slow to adapt to new technology. Yeah, and the idea that um, you know it, it takes a lot to create a mass uh, shift enough to make it uh, financially feasible to continue yeah. to go forward. Yeah. But I do think, like, so one of the trends that I think is going to impact uh, soon and more is, you know, we were talking about big data and we're talking about having that data. And so um, I think that probably AI is going to come into play uh, quick, more quickly than we think. Um, so just AI engines and ticketing and, and kind of, like, automating a lot of stuff. 
I think in ticketing, um, and especially uh, perhaps ticketing agencies, um, because we have really clean data, right? We've got databases that are structured, and it's so it's a lot easier uh, to pull some BI out of that. Um, I think that 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 could make quite an impact soon. And I mean, we're doing it, I think, without right now with all the automating we're doing with all the automated marketing we're doing with all of the, you know, um, looking at cart abandonment, sending out emails automatically, all of that. It's, it's kind of, it's, we're directing that right now. And I think we're going to like automate it even more. Let me ask you this because uh, does ticket pro have an AI solution or an AI component built into the platform? Um, I wouldn't say AI. There's there. No, not yet. That's okay. Um, because I was going to say, I didn't want to say it if you were, you know, I, but I would point people towards Martin Gameltoff and activity stream who've been on the, he's been on the podcast twice. Um, uh-huh. and their, their solution is extremely elegant and is cost effective. And I know just from like doing, doing some work with those guys and talking with them that, um, you know, it provides some really great insights that back up exactly what you were talking about. Well, I will have to go listen to that. Then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, blockchain and big data. Any any other trends we should be watching? Um, I I don't know if this is going to happen. Although I, I kind of wish it would happen. Um, you know, we're t- the whole the world is kind of coming together with. You know, we're having our last gasps of of trying to stay separate, I believe. Um, but in general, the world is coming together. We're getting smaller. We're able to talk. We're able to communicate so fast that I don't think there's any really way to keep us apart. Um, so I think that everything that's happened, like we used to kind of really be isolated and now we're using all of this, you know, these third party integrations where platforms are talking to each other, I think in ways that they haven't before. Um, I think Europe does a, is further along that curve than we are probably in North America. Uh, But I think that like we're starting to share inventory between platforms. And I think that's only going to get stronger. I think that's a trend that's only going to continue and get stronger. And I think we're all going to be the stronger for it, frankly. And I would uh, second your idea that Europe is much further advanced than we are in North America, as far as using integrations and uh, tools that talk together and work together effectively. I mean, that, that's, uh, I think, as true as it gets. They do a uh, much, much better job. And I, I think part of it's just sort of the nature of the way that the contracts between venues go in the yes. North America versus Europe. Um, yep. That's, I mean, but I would agree. And I think that's true. We're gonna, things are only getting smaller. It's only easier to communicate. It's only easier to work together, no matter where, anywhere you are in the world. Um, I think, you know, and I think it's great because, I mean, I've been really fortunate um, to you know, meet and know people all over the world, uh, I mean, you know, because of technology and because of how small things are. And, I, and, it, and it really makes, I think, all of us smarter. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's great. Now, how can I, um, how can I point, where can I point people for, uh, to you? Like, how can they find you? Where can they find you on the internet? Oh, uh, me, Gideon? Yeah. Oh, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, a M G U I S on uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm not that. I, I like to follow more than I like to talk. 
Um, and I'm Guylaine B on Instagram. But again, I just I like to follow. I don't I don't share very much. <laughs> That's when you have to you have to pick up the phone and call Guylaine to find out exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Guylaine, thank you so much for doing for doing this. I think um, at least, if nothing else, people are going to like learn that you're much smarter than I am. So <laughs> I don't think so, but <laughs> it'd be nice to think so. <laughs> no, I, I, I let me let me pay you the compliment. So, <laughs> well, thanks very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Of course, um, yeah. I'm sure we will do this one. We'll do another podcast. Yes. Once again, I want to thank my guest Ghislaine Bowman from Ticket Pro for taking the time to have a conversation with me on the business of fun. As always, you can find out what I'm doing by visiting my website. That's www.davewakeman.com. You can find my blog, my list of clients, the activities, my calendar, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, so visit www.davewakeman.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. You can follow me on Twitter, at David Wakeman, which is... If you have a connection to the person who has at Dave Wakeman, who has not tweeted since 2014, I'd love that Twitter handle. Uh, if you like what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're on uh, iTunes. We're on all the major platforms at this point. And if you'd subscribe, uh, leave a review, or maybe most importantly, share the podcast with one other person. It would mean a great deal to me. And it would ensure that we continue to deliver really great content for you. For as always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection, for sponsoring the podcast. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to create a better buying experience, give your customers peace of mind, and maybe, most importantly, give you and your organization a brand new stream of revenue, visit them at their website, www.bookingprotect.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Take care.